Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I have worn the same t-shirt every day this week. I've got the same sign on the front of my desk here. It all says the same thing. On our way to L.A., of course, go for 2 and 22. And by the time you hear this, I'll be there, at least on my way to L.A. We're going to have live coverage on video throughout the day on Friday and then throughout the weekend there, too. Obviously, leading into a game day on Monday, that's going to be kind of a blend of a of a Dog Nation Daily plus a – uh, you know, game coverage, and we'll kind of just we'll sort of do all of that. We'll do the uh, full gamut of all of that here over the course of the next couple of days, and we are really excited about that. And as we pre-record this on a Thursday afternoon to get ready for the travel day on Friday, I guess there's one thing that's kind of on my mind here in terms of what by appearances might be the biggest edge that Georgia has in this game on Monday. Some of you have heard us reference this before. It's kind of become a little bit of a popular talking point in college football. We've been talking about this maybe before it was cool. The guy, Bud Elliott, you know him. He writes for 24-7 Sports. And for a long time, he's done that blue-chip ratio thing, which I've always thought was a very interesting way to evaluate college football. The notion that national champions over the course of a four-year period are going to sign more four- and five-star prospects than lesser recruits over the course of that span. And Blue's idea, I should say Bud's idea of the blue-chip ratio is, is that the line of demarcation is 50%, and that national champions have to be above that number. Every national champion, for as long as you want to go back and tabulate the data, has been above that. When I look at the blue-chip ratio, what I notice is it seems to be going up, 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 above even that 50% number. But Bud has sort of held on to that idea of, hey, more four- and five-star guys than not over the four-year period. That's basically the ticket through the door for all national champions. And if you're curious when it comes to Georgia and TCU, the two teams that will play on Monday, the difference between these two programs in terms of that blue-chip ratio number, how many former four- and five-star players each program assigned, the difference could not be more stark. Georgia's number is at 80%, or at least it was to begin this season, 80% of former recruits over the course of the last four-year period who are either four-star or five-star prospect coming out of high school. That's four out of every five players on the Georgia roster. By comparison, TCU is just at 23%. Could you get a more stark difference? Could you have a more wildly different roster construction? And we went back and talked about this a couple of days ago when the uh, reporter asked, I think it was, yeah, reporter asked Kirby, hey, is there more than one way to do this? You know, is there a better way to build a mousetrap where George can be, you know, a whole bunch of elite recruits? TCU could be something farly, you know, far different from that, but somehow, some way, it all works. And what we said about that question was no disrespect. It kind of comes across as a little bit of wishful thinking. The idea that TCU, without the measurable talent that Georgia has, could build a team that is as good as Georgia is. That seems like a little bit of wishful thinking. Kirby Smart uh, had a slightly different answer than that, of course, as you might expect. But our thought is, in some respects, the question kind of tells you what you need to know. There's an atmosphere around this game where people are hoping that TCU, through a quality of a combination of good coaching, which they've obviously had, kind of heads-up play, which they've also had there as well, that can negate the overwhelming talent advantage that Georgia, at least on paper, seems to have. However, here is where, if you're a Georgia fan, the record might scratch a little bit. The the tone of this conversation might change because you might think that I'm leading here to tell you all you got to worry about on Monday is the fact that Georgia's got so much more talent, and eventually that overwhelming level of talent that Georgia has, it will completely just absorb whatever TCU throws at them. It simply comes down to Georgia having the most talent. 
In a roundabout way, that might be true, I guess, but honesty compels me to admit that the architect of the blue chip ratio, the guy who invented the notion that national champions must be above that 50% number, the guy who first let us know to begin this year that Georgia's at 80 and TCU's at 23, unfortunately, that guy, Bud Elliott, says maybe this doesn't matter all that much. He predicts that eventually there's going to be a team that actually upends his blue chip ratio and wins the national championship without being above that 50% number. And he suggests maybe it could be TCU. This is what Bud said about this in kind of a short Twitter video earlier this week. Here's Bud Elliott. This won't last forever. Oregon in 2014 and Clemson in 2016 almost busted the ratio. Somebody will do it at some point. TCU has combined excellent coaching, veteran talent, quality work in the transfer portal, and to be frank, at 6-1 and one in games decided by a single score, a good bit of luck to get to where they are. And this isn't last year's Georgia squad. So maybe the Horned Frogs can pull this off. It would be a breath of fresh air for all the college football fans who see the same 10 or 15 teams win the national title year in and year out. Mm. The sport could use a little hope. Make no mistake about that. There's a lot of people who maybe don't have any kind of like true – you know, dog in the fight that feel the way that Elliot says there at the end of that clip, that if you're kind of one of these mid-level programs, you know, if, if you're kind of at that sort of TCU level, then obviously you'd love to see a team like this even break through and make the college ball playoff is a good thing, but break through and win the national championship would even be a better thing because it would give a degree of hope to a lot of teams that currently don't have any of that. A lot of programs, a lot of fan bases that don't believe they can win the national championship. If TCU were to break through and do it, well, all of a sudden that kind of opens the threshold for what is actually possible in college football. And Elliot himself says that he believes it's almost happened before, he says, and eventually one of these non-blue chip ratio teams might actually break through and win the national championship. So to kind of play with that as an idea for a moment, let's also hear Kirby Smart, who when Smart was asked to kind of compare his team to TCU uh, the other day, clearly Smart's not going to come out and say they don't have a player that can play for our team. Instead, what he says is, hey, he actually sees a lot of the qualities that has made Georgia impressive this year in what you see there from TCU. Whether it's luck or not, they've won so many close games and kind of pulled some of these games out. One way or another, they have become battle-tested through that journey. Kirby also kind of giving TCU a compliment, this from earlier in the week. Their kids believe. You know, they have, uh, I feel like, just reading and listening um, about them, a lot of similarities um, to our kids in terms of the culture created there, um, the way they play, play, the way they believe. Um, you know, I think I saw a stat they have the, the most comebacks in, in, in college football, you know, in the fourth quarter. And that, that shows what your mental makeup is. So, I mean, I, I don't think you can deny what Kirby Smart says is true. That TCU, through the last 14 games that it's played, has shown an unbelievable mental makeup. And that's what's allowed them to overcome, as Bud Elliott was talking about there, the overall measurable level of talent that's not quite, certainly at the college football playoff level, certainly the national championship level. And yet, because of maybe a little bit of luck, but also a lot of moxie and everything else in between, they found a way to, to kind of keep doing what they've done over the course of the last 14 games. What Smart can't say, uh, but I will say is, is that while that has been true over 14 games, I don't quite know how predictive that might be for the 15th, that eventually luck just sort of does kind of run out on you. Maybe it kind of runs out on TCU. But honestly, we can't know that. We can't sort of officially say that for certain. We may be right, but there's a chance that we're wrong. So what I'm going to try to do is, is I want to try to zero in on okay, well, if Georgia does have this huge talent edge over TCU, then where does it show up? 
uh, because TCU scored a lot of points. TCU's won a lot of games, and the collection of teams they've beaten is not exactly a collection of nobodies. I mean, some of those were pretty good teams. The overall balance of the Big 12 this year was actually pretty good. So if we're looking for the talent edge for Georgia and we want to ask the question of, well, how does that demonstrate itself on the field? Where can you tangibly measure that in the games that have taken place? And I think after a little bit of research, a little bit of searching, I think I've sort of found something that probably is the best demonstration of what talent looks like as it relates to Georgia. There's a guy named Brian Fremo. Fremo's a analytics-type guy. I've never met him. don't know what he looks like. I just have read his stuff online over the years. He used to work for uh, football outsiders. I don't think he does anymore, though. Some of these guys kind of go out on their own. I think he may have by now. The point is, though, one of the stats that he measures is what he calls net points per drive. It's what it sounds like it would be. Um, your offense, your defense per drive, how many points are you gaining on aggregate when you kind of combine those two things together? Let me show you this. Uh, Fremo tweeted this the other day. Uh, let me show you this on the screen, and it kind of gives you an idea. And if you're looking for the place in which the Georgia talent edge supposedly shows up, I believe it might be right here. Here's what Fremo tweeted earlier this week. He says, most national champions in the last 15 seasons finish with a net point per drive advantage of more than 2.0. He says all of them finished at least 1.0 above the, you know, the net point per drive measurement there. So he says, going into Monday, Georgia is at 2.28 net points per drive. And TCU is at .97. So what this is is, hey, compared to what your offense scores, what your defense allows, you know, what are you doing on kind of a net per drive basis? Georgia's like bumping up against like three points uh, on aggregate uh, per drive, whereas TCU's slightly below one. So what that tells me is it's stats like this that I think that should give Georgia fans the most comfort going into Monday. Now, listen, nothing is a guarantee. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. But if you want to know why Georgia is favored, if you want to know why this is likely a more comfortable matchup for Georgia than what Ohio State might have been, it's right there. Every time Georgia has it, every time Georgia defends against it when it comes to football, they're walking away above two points in terms of what they're adding to their win probability at the end of the game, whereas TCU is just sort of slightly below one point there. Honestly, I'm not super smart. I probably couldn't do the arithmetic to create that, but it's the kind of concept I sort of understand. On a per-drive basis, the overall Georgia talent level is just showing up a lot more this season than what's been able to take place for TCU. So ultimately, that may be the biggest edge of all. Does it guarantee victory? Obviously, it doesn't. Does it make you feel confident about victory? If you're a Georgia fan, I think it probably should. There's some crazy stuff that can happen. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. But Georgia is a favorite for a reason and one game away from completing an amazing feat. 15-0 season, back-to-back national champions indeed. Go for two in 22. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Kroger, and glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, we're live on video, normally live. Today we're pre-recorded, but it usually starts at 945 for our first and 15 on dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, or on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, a podcast wherever you find them, including the worldfamousdognation.com. Really happy to have you with us for what we're uh, doing here today. And a big thanks to our friends at Kroger for making it all possible. You know, my family, my wife, my kids, not able to travel with me to Los Angeles. They wanted to be there just for our family. It's not going to work out right now. And so what's the thing they're going to do to kind of make it feel okay about not being in L.A.? Well, of course, they're going to have a big game-watching party, bring a bunch of family and friends over. And, of course, many of you are planning on doing the same thing. Well, guess what? Um, Our friends at Kroger are going to get you well-stocked for everything you need. The food, the beverages, 
the plates, the napkins, the balloons, those decorative type things to make the tailgate party look fantastic, the game watching party look fantastic. Our friends at Kroger got you covered on all of that. And by the way, as you're enjoying your kind of tailgate items, maybe the folks in LA will actually be jealous of you because a lot of them, as our producer Michael Carvel was saying before the show started today. <laughs> They may not need that tailgate gear in the parking lots there at SoFi Stadium. But for you, wherever you are, of course, Kroger is going to help you get stocked up for the big game-watching and tailgate party. Stop by your local Kroger and get a whole lot more on that. We're going to get a whole lot more from Jeff Centel here coming up in just a moment. Jeff is going to talk to us about a little bit on this Georgia-TCU game, but also you know, having been in Orlando for the Under Armour All-American game uh, in San Antonio, I believe, right now for the uh, traditional All-American Bowl uh, Jeff going to give you some of the sights and sounds of top Georgia signees and what they've been doing here during this all-star, all-American type season. We'll get that from Jeff coming up in a moment. Before that, though, how about Around the Doghouse, presented today by our friends at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. And ESPN shared a little bit of an interview clip the other day, Kirby Smart talking about what we would all say, the challenge for Georgia of now trying to finish off a 15-0 perfect season after having won the national championship a year ago and the idea of winning back-to-back national championships, something that hasn't happened here in the playoff era, something that hasn't happened in college football at all since 2011 and 2012. Kirby Smart, who was actually an assistant coach of the defensive coordinator on that Alabama team back then, was able to speak from a first-person perspective about the issues, the difficulty of winning back-to-back national championships because, as he said this week, He's been a part of some teams that try to get that done, and I thought Kirby had an interesting perspective on that from ESPN. Let's hear him right now on that. I know how hard it is to do because there's a lot of times we didn't do it, if you know what I'm saying. We did it once, but while we were there, we won four, and we were only able to repeat once. It's really hard to do because human nature is to relax, and when people pat you on the back, human nature is to say, I'm good, I've done a good job, and you know, we won it last year, let's take a year off. Uh, I also had the great fortune of having a really good team last year, and our, our, our staff and organization did such a good job with that team, but we lost all of them. So it was like starting over. So the motivation job was probably not as hard as most repeats are. So you've heard me say this yesterday, which is that Hey, ultimately, I don't need your hot take about Georgia winning this game by a thousand points, and I really don't need anything other than can we just get through one more football game and then talk about what this team is and talk about the greatness of having won back-to-back national championships? Because while I just gave you you know ten minutes or so on why it's obvious that Georgia is the prohibitive favorite here and why Georgia is expected to win, kind of a measurable area in which that talent advantage that Georgia seemingly has where that shows up in games. At the same time here, I think there's obviously a little bit of reason to be on guard for this. As as Kirby said, hey, we were a part of teams in Alabama that had a chance to win the back-to-back national championship. For whatever reason, it didn't happen. And with Georgia one more game away from completing that mission for itself, go for two in 22, you also have to be on guard for everything that can happen with this here too. In fact, let me give you a couple of numbers here for a moment. A lot of you know, and our buddy Mike Griffith mentioned this on Wednesday, that Georgia is the largest favorite in a national championship game, what I guess of the kind of the, what we'll call kind of the modern era here. But they're only a slightly larger favorite right now than Miami was against Ohio State back in 2002. And a lot of you who are astute observers of college football will remember Miami lost that game. They lost it outright. So the previous high watermark when it comes to a national championship favorite didn't win the game. 
you know, beyond that, we see underdogs being a little more live during this kind of bowl postseason time of the year than they are during the uh, regular season. For instance, in the regular season, our friends at the Action Network had these numbers for us. Underdogs cover but lose about 27% of the time. They win outright about 23.5% of the time. But in the bowls, that kind of changes. When the, when the favorites cover, they cover to the tune of 85%. But the underdogs right now are actually winning in bowl season at a rate of 36%. That's, a, that's more than a 1-3 in three chance of the underdog winning outright. Now, admittedly, I'll confess that part of the reason why those numbers are so out of whack compared to the regular season is because of the motivation in bowl games. And sometimes the favorite team may have more opt-outs, something like that. Motivation can be tricky, and that's why more underdogs might be winning outright in bowl season, the regular season, for that reason alone. And that's obviously not an issue for Georgia and TCU. So beyond that, I went and tried to kind of tabulate some numbers on this, and I believe I've got this right. It took me a second, but I think I got this right. The best that I can tell over the course of the long haul, teams that are 12.5-point underdogs, which is about what TCU has been right now, over the course of the long haul in college football, and this is going back to like the early 1980s, they actually win outright like 18.98% of the time, almost 19% of the time. They win outright. So Georgia being a 12.5-point favorite, if I'm doing the math correctly here, and I think that I am, uh, you know, George as a 12 and a half point favorite has about an 81% chance of winning the game. There's some other places that do win probabilities that line up about right with what, uh, with what you see from the win probability stuff. But historically speaking, uh, underdogs of about 12 and a half points in college football have won the game outright about 19% of the time. So I think that kind of gives us the right frame for all of this. I do believe Georgia's going to win the game. I do. And I think there's a chance that Georgia wins it somewhat comfortably. In fact, if Georgia gets the kind of game it wants, it should win the game, I would say at least somewhat comfortably, where you have a lot less drama in the fourth quarter here than you certainly did in Saturday night in the Peach Bowl against Ohio State. But the overall preponderance of numbers would say, yeah, over the course of time, TCU's had about a one in a five chance a one in five chance of winning a game like this. Does that feel about right to you? About one in five, you know, chance, about 19 or so percent chance of winning this game, which means that you feel pretty confident, but you shouldn't be, you know, completely so confident you give them no chance whatsoever. The numbers suggest that's not quite the right way to look at this. So what is the proper perspective as we head towards Los Angeles? Confident, certainly if you're a Georgia fan, believing your team's going to win, but also on guard for anything that TCU might throw at you or any kind of like early adversity that might make this game feel a little bit different than you sort of want it to. I, I think the overall numbers here speak to Georgia favorite for a reason, very likely to win, but also no need to celebrate that fact until it actually happens later on on Monday night. That is around the doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. You already know this, uh, but the time you hear my voice, I am a long way away from home, and I'm not going to be at home for uh, quite some time. But for you, Maybe this upcoming new year, it's time for you to start thinking about a new home. And that's where our friends at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services are all about because they understand the best time for new beginnings is right now. That means if you need to sell a house to get closer to a new job or closer to family or closer, closer to some opportunity or ambition that you might have, well, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services wants to help walk you through that transaction and really lead to a satisfactory in, uh, outcome for you. And then when it's time to buy that new home, they can help you with that there as well. Both ends of the home buying and uh, selling transaction, they understand that. How to get from that contract to the closing table and get you where you want to be for the next phase of your life. They've been a big part of uh, Go for 2 and 22 with us all year long. We're happy to have them here as a part of Around the Dog House here right now. So find them online at B. 
bhhsgeorgia.com. That's bhhsgeorgia.com. Great to have Berkshire Hathaway Home Services as a part of Around the Doghouse here right now. All right, so before we're done, we're going to kind of bounce around some of the SEC stuff a little bit. Uh, There's some news that's been kind of piling up we haven't really gotten to, so we're going to cover some of that. We also have a phenomenal collection of golden shoes. We told you that as a way of giving you good vibes going into the weekend, knowing we'll be in L.A. after that, we got some of our best golden shoes in a while that we'll put on display here to celebrate Georgia playing for that national championship coming up on Monday night. But for now, on the game itself and also the recruiting rumblings that have been taking place in two different locations, Orlando first, San Antonio after that. Let's do all of that as we go on the road. It's just to buy AAA with Jeff Sintel right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Speak to Jeff Sintel here on the road, assisted by AAA. And Jeff's been on the road a bunch. As I said before, he was in Orlando, then he was back in Atlanta, then he was in Orlando again. Now he's in San Antonio and on his way to Los Angeles before it is all said and done. And so, Jeff, there's a lot of recruiting stuff I want to talk to you about. And first of all, I wish you safe travels as you're moving about. But prior to the recruiting stuff, let me just bring you in on a topic I was having off the top of the show that our buddy Bud Elliott, who tabulates the blue chip ratio, you see Georgia at 80%, former four- and five-star players over the course of the previous four-year period signed by the program, TCU at just 23%. But yet even Bud Elliott says, I wouldn't be quite so sure that number's going to hold up on Monday. He predicts eventually there will be a national champion that kind of busts up his blue chip ratio, which has kind of always predicted the national champion to be more former elite recruits than not. What do you think about the measurable talent advantage that Georgia seems to have over TCU and the ways in which TCU's actually been beating teams all season long that also had that same measurable, or at least a similar measurable gap over them there as well? That this is not the first time the TCU was tangled with a team that had better recruits, and yet TCU found a way to win those games. Yeah, well, um, first of all, uh, how's everybody doing? Congratulations on it, getting it to this point again crazy to think that Brandon still can't believe Georgia's going to play for its second national championship in two years no doubt it just really doesn't it feels like the stuff of dreams I mean for a lot of those that have followed this program for so long but you know I think that blue chip ratio is pretty pretty spot on um but I think maybe the way that TCU has overachieved was against some some teams that probably have like 65 70 percent I mean there's a there's a big stretch in the roster from Michigan to Georgia and I think that's going to be the hardest thing for them to overcome. You know, you see the injury reports about some key contributors for TCU might be out. Um, you just know that the person that they're going to turn to, like how Georgia can turn to an Amarius Mims or an Oscar Dell, just aren't going to be the same type of player. And then Georgia's players are so well coached and so well prepared. They actually have a decided talent advantage, but they also have just preparation, scheme, execution. Georgia does all those things so, so well. Um, the first thing that went through my mind, Brandon, when you said about the, the blue chip ratio, is it, as I saw it, well, if Georgia's currently at 80, I think after this current recruiting class, it may go up to 84, 85, the way they're stacking up players and how well they're performing right now. Um, it's usually a great indicator. I've always felt Kirby Smart has always said this, that it's really about the players you get um, without the players and the personnel advantage or the special football players. It really doesn't matter what you do as a coach. Um, we've talked before, Brandon, Georgia, when they played Tennessee, there was a tremendous personnel advantage, no matter how high and how well and how effective Hendon Hooker in that Tennessee offense was performing in certain areas. I was told that, um, 
Ohio State basically got in 1,500 reps at a certain tempo where they saw how LSU attacked Georgia, and they went tempo, and they took deep shots downfield with max protection. And after 1,500 reps, they, they still couldn't find a way to beat Georgia in the end with those elite receivers and an NFL quarterback. I just think that is a very, very tall order for TCU on Monday. I think it's a really interesting point. You also said something else that I think is worth uh, mentioning here, which is that you can talk about the numeric value of 80% former four- and five-star players, but there are some names here that really demonstrate what that means in real life. Warren McClendon, Georgia starting right tackle, was injured. The guy that stepped in his place, Amarius Mims, a former five-star. Darnell Washington is injured right now, we think. His status is uncertain for the game on Monday night when he left that game against Ohio State. The guy that stepped in was Oscar Delp, a part of last year's signing class, one of the top players in the country regardless of position. And the example that I've cited also a couple of times here this week, which is with Ladd McConkey hobbled and unable to give you what he's given you throughout the season, the expanded role then went to a guy like Arian Smith, former top 100 recruit, top 10 wide receiver, and he had to kind of take the top off the defense touchdown kind of home run call that a lot of folks, I'm not really quite so sure, knew that Georgia had that as a part of their overall arsenal. That when you look at a guy like Smith playing more, Arian Smith, when you look at a guy like Oscar Delt playing more, a guy like Amarius Mims playing more, these are all former elite recruits called into action because of injury. That's where that talent advantage that Georgia has, that's where it shows up on the field, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and the other name that glares to me is Brandon, it's not just Nolan Smith, and it's not just then Chaz Chambliss, then it goes down to Marvin Jones Jr. And then you see flashes with Darius Smith there as well, and you see you know, maybe a guy like Tyke Smith not playing a lot this year. But you know, with a lot of positions, Brandon, one of the things I try to do with my own talent tree test is I try to figure out, okay, where is Georgia if they lose someone in a big spot? Where is there a remarkable gap of difference between maybe not going to be the same player because Nolan Smith and Chaz Chambliss are different players, Maybe the same thing when you mentioned with McClendon and Mims and with Smith and A.D. Mitchell and everything else, but where is there a decided drop-off? You look at running backs, if Georgia had to deep, go dig down deep at running back, you would see Dejon Edwards, you would see Branson Robinson. You see a whole lot of positions where Georgia – I mean, let's face it, if anything happened to the game's most important position with, with Stetson Bennett on, uh, on Monday, and, you know, hey, I'm knocking on the Riverwalk Wood here next to the San Antonio Riverwalk Wood as I say this, Georgia has an NFL-type quarterback with an NFL-type arm behind it in Carson Beck. Some would say that it has these, the same NFL measurables that Max Dugan has on the other side. So um, it's just a lot. You, you, you look at these. You know, and the other thing about the blue chip ratio, I respect the heck out of Bud, one of the best people in our business. He, he creates interesting and unique content, content that engages a lot of folks in how to think college football a different way. I think the other thing uh, with the blue chip ratio, especially in a – in a national championship game is I'm going to say a Roger Goodell ratio in terms of the number of players that are likely to shake Roger Goodell's hand in the first round. And I think that's also decided me in Georgia's favor as well. All right, let me shift gears here to the recruiting stuff you've been covering. And I would say, and I saw the story at dognation.com, of course, but maybe some of the most interesting stuff to come out of this thus far is what seems to be a very strong relationship that Georgia has with five-star tight end Deuce Robinson ahead of Robinson finally and officially making his decision ahead of the original February National Signing Day. Jeff, this is a tremendous athlete. It would be a massive get for Georgia to keep that tight end room as, as, as strong as it has been, especially with the you know, thought here that Darnell Washington is likely on his way to the NFL. 
So it, it seems like Georgia's in a strong place here. You had a great story with Robinson at DogNation.com. What else can you add to that, the fact that Georgia may not be done adding truly elite talent here with the class of 2023? Yeah, Deuce is interesting, Brandon. I'm, I'll be admit. I'll be admitting here. You know, I saw Deuce for a lot in Orlando, and it's not that I wasn't impressed. It's not he wasn't deserving of his rankings. I think I just wanted to see a little bit more. I wonder with Deuce about whether he's going to basically float between wide receiver or tight end. He's only like 220. And, you know, this may be maybe not time for hot takes on your show today on Friday, but I'm really having a hard time. Let's say even if Deuce Robinson does join the Georgia program, I'm really having a hard time figuring out who would actually be the best tight end in this class. And it's funny, you hear Pierce Sperling's message to, to Deuce, and he basically says, you know, come come be a part of the best tight end room in history or the best tight end class in history. And I think that's what Georgia is looking at there because I, I think people don't realize, you know, Pierce is like six six and a half, and he's 240. He's looked great down here at the All-American Bowl. You've got Lawson Lucky, who if you backed me up into a corner, Brandon, I would say the most likely tight end to play right away at Georgia, given the way he can block, given the way he runs his routes, given the way his athleticism is pretty strong, is Lawson Lucky, and that's the way not a lot of people – have that cake, but I just have a really nuanced and advanced understanding of what Lawson Lucky can bring to that position. I don't think there's a Brock Bowers. I think folks are going to have to look at Georgia as a Brock Bowers. Is you know the way, Brandon, the way Brock Bowers is powerful without looking like he's struggling and guys are bouncing off of him, and how he's fast without looking like he's really surging or straining. Um, he almost glides. There, there is a smooth athleticism. That, that make you watch Brock Bowers, you feel like he could be a fullback, you feel like he could be a throwback. I think he's going to be seen as an enigma in terms of all the many things he can do with that position. I mean, none of these guys are – these are all top five tight ends in the country, Brandon. None of them are going to run a jet sweep for 75 yards and be the longest rush from scrimmage in a Georgia season. I don't think so the way Brock Bowers can. But the position, it, it's almost – it's almost it feels like stealing, Brandon, how – they have the, the type of tight ends that George is attracting right now. Um, Deuce is going to be very busy. He's got his birthday weekend on the 19th of this weekend. He's going to go play out in the Polynesian Bowl in Hawaii. He's trying to sneak in some more visits. Um, very, very interestingly, I think this story will be up on dognation.com by the folks by the time folks hear this. But the way – this is – I love this question, Brandon. How in the world – if a layman wanted to say, duh, Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers – Oscar Dell, how in the world does Georgia keep attracting these tight ends? Well, if you ask all these young men, they're like, we all do something differently. Yeah. Sperling is not the same, not the same players as Delp. He's not the same player as Deuce. Lawson Lucky is not the same player as any of those guys as well. And that's how they can all kind of see their roles fitting in at Georgia with the success and how Georgia gets the ball to the tight end position. And the other thing about Georgia, which is really impressive to Deuce, he's the first five-star in history that can – feel a certain type of way about Georgia and come to a Kent State game on an official visit and then get a boost off that visit. He said he talks to Southern California commits a couple times a week. He said he talks to Arch Manning, the great future Texas quarterback, a couple of times per week via text. Brandon, he told me he talks to Roderick Robinson, who he's known for Mm -hmm. years out in California, who's now at Georgia, has moved in, and is a Bulldog as of this week. He talks to Roderick Robinson just about every day. He stresses the culture at Georgia. He stresses how it feels like the kids love each other. Like he was at the Under Armour All-American game, Brandon, walking around the swanky hotel. And he was like, all the Georgia guys hang out together already. They, they squat up. 
Yeah. And none of the other schools do that. And to him, he did not know that was possible, and that really impressed him as a big relationship guy. That's great to hear. Speaking of some of the other guys who were there, I know for different reasons, uh, a few of those guys aren't. I think some of the uh, guys even decided to stick with Georgia, getting a chance to kind of go through some of those early enrollee-type practices and the travel experience and things like that too, which I think is really fun. I mean, if I was a player, I think I'd be kind of maybe attracted to that there as well. But of those that you have seen from both locations, Orlando and San Antonio, who has been impressive? It seems like Jordan Hall may be turning some heads right now uh, out there in, uh, in in Texas. But what have you kind of seen from Georgia guys? And if you wanted to kind of give us a little bit of a of a thumbnail of who has been impressive and who's got a chance to do some working out here, uh, what has stood out to you? Yeah, so it's funny. I think the best and quickest indicator is uh, four of Georgia's top ten commitments signees now were supposed to be at the All-American Bowl out here in Texas, Brandon. And they didn't make it. Uh, Damon Wilson uh, also is not here in Texas right now. That's the highest-rated signee in the class. There's A.J. Harris. There's C.J. Allen. There's Jamal Jarrett. You know, just outright outright studs in the class, and they're not here. So Georgia is only at half strength this week with four guys. And yet on three sports came out with their top performer lists after every game, after every practice session. And after the first session, Brandon, I think three dogs made the top performer list, three out of those four. And then the fourth is Kelton Smith just off of a knee injury and knee, and knee surgery. He only played four games his senior year. He's also looked mightily impressive. But you've got Monroe Freeling, who looks like the best-looking offensive tackle here, Brandon. He's about 6'6 and a couple of biscuits. He's about 295. He's got a 31-inch vertical. He does yoga. He's looked like a left tackle of the future at Georgia. And then you've got Jordan Big Baby Hall, Brandon. And all I can tell you is he is a guy that's going to play right away, and he's going to help Georgia pretty much out of the box. He looks every bit as a – uh, as a dominator, a game wrecker, a difference maker, as Michael Williams did at this event a, a year ago where he came in and said, you know what, I'm, I'm here to show people I'm the best player in the country at my position and probably the best All-American here at the All-American Bowl, and that's what he's doing. Jordan Big Baby Hall is going to check every box. He's going to be different. I know everybody likes to say, is this the next Jalen Carter? Is this the next so-and-so-and-so? He's going to be the first Big Baby Brandon. He's going to be a little bit different than everything everybody has. He's seen so far six foot four. About 315 pounds, it came down to Georgia and the Gators. I know you'll love seeing that every time oh, yeah. he flashes his numbers across the screen. Um, and he just really feels really connected with Christian Miller, Bear Alexander, Michael Williams. And he knows he's going to do great things at Georgia, and he knows he fits in great at, at Georgia as a person. Brandon, I, I'm going to say this. I, people are going to spit out their coffee, man, when they hear this or whatever they're drinking this morning on their way to L.A. But the Georgia defense, this is a program. That is, not out, that is not leveling off at altitude. It is not going to dip after this run. I can point to the 2024 team right now and the way these pieces are looking to come together is that will be the best Georgia team Kirby Smart has had so far because all the pieces simply scream Georgia is going to be even better than it is now in the years to come. Boy, it's fun to think about that. We're on the road. It's just about AAA with Jeff Sintel here today. And, of course, AAA, we always have those AAA cards in our pocket as we're traveling around because if something happens while we're on the road, Obviously, their roadside assistance is right there for us, but it's also a great resource for your insurance needs there as well, including your auto insurance. When you switch and save with AAA, not only do you put more money back in your pocket, but you also get a chance to have a truly enjoyable experience. AAA has been doing the auto insurance thing here for a long time, for more than 100 years, 
And throughout that entire period, how about this? A 93% satisfaction rate. If they've been doing insurance for as long as they've been doing it and taking care of folks as well as they've been taking care of them, that kind of satisfaction rate leads you to believe they may be able to do a great job for you there too. So maybe it's time to have a conversation to find out more about that. You can give them a call, 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075. Find a branch near you and talk about how you can switch and save your auto insurance with AAA. All right, Jeff, before we let you go, and this is just for fun. So we uh, we saw some pictures the other day of five-star 2024 quarterback Dylan Rayola, and he was wearing the UGA gear. Now, a couple of caveats here before we kind of get into this. A, I'm a big believer that I think the gear can be one of the biggest false positives in recruiting, that guys just sort of wear whatever, and oftentimes it's even an intentional swerve, but it's definitely not always the most predictive thing in the world when it comes to something like that. B, I've been very much of the belief that since Rayola has decommitted from Ohio State, there was likely Nebraska that would be the uh, potential leader there for his services. And when Rayola chose Ohio State the first time in the manner that he did, oftentimes those kind of decisions sort of have a little bit of the ring of finality for the school that loses out. In other words, I don't know that I expected Georgia to be back a part of a Dylan Rayola conversation here. So in light of seeing some photos of him wearing the Georgia gear and in light of the fact that he's clearly uncommitted, so I guess anything could happen, how real do you think it is over the course of the next year or however many months with Georgia and a 2024 quarterback in Dylan Rayola, which I think is pretty spectacular? Uh, how real is this right now? There's some sizzle to it, Brandon, and it's one of those things where the thought of what we just described with Georgia's football program and let's face it, let's, let's do this by the book and let's try to do this the right way. Um, you could see Georgia, you know, obviously Stetson won't be around. You can see obviously between, you know, Carson, if he has a great year at Georgia next year, then he is, should he continue the way things are trending to be the starter next year, he would be a one-and-done NFL-type player. I think he can be a Mac, Mac Jones-type player. So then you're like, what's going to happen between Vandegrift and Stockton? Somebody will, you know, maybe rise to the backup after spring practice. There's going to be some settling there, and then all of a sudden the other one will probably move out or transfer out. So then you also have to think about, regardless of what happens with between Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton, three tremendous options at quarterbacks of the future for Georgia. They didn't take a quarterback in the 2023 class, Brandon, so you're going to look at that and see that 2024 Georgia could actually take two quarterbacks. And if Rayola, who is in every right a special talent, becomes one of those quarterbacks in the room with that defense I just described and the receivers on the way and the offensive linemen and all the pieces that are assembling, Brandon, it's almost going to feel like something out of a history book when the, you know, the old Congress legislature and the Rockefellers started talking about, you know, breaking up in a monopoly or something like that. I mean, it's unfathomable to think about Georgia having a quarterback with Caleb Williams type talent at quarterback or, you know, CJ Stroud or Bryce Young type talent at quarterback. But, I think that's the that's the fancy that's the I guess that's the the little glimmer in everybody's eye right now when they think about the chances of Rayola um, in Georgia. Certainly doesn't certainly seems like Nebraska absolutely has to have him with a new quarterback. He's a legacy there. He's got family there. Um, certainly seems like you know that's the place where he should most likely end up because they could probably throw a huge NIL number at him. They could also you know build around a new head coach with NFL experience and some real experience, real, real, real success in college football to kind of rebuild back Nebraska football. But it would be crazy to think about Rayola under center at Georgia only needing 20, 20 points a game with that defense. It would be it would be some pretty crazy stuff. Brandon, and at some point you might back off the table and say, 
Georgia has gotten even better than I ever dreamed it ever could. Well, what it shows you is Georgia's about to try to win a national championship on Monday, but once that's done, it's not like the news is going to slow down anytime soon with so many of these exciting yeah. 2024 stories and at least one story left over the class of 2023, and that's before you get to any more potential portal additions either. So, Jeff, we'll lean on you closely to follow it all of it for us. Thanks for being here on the road, assisted by AAA. Enjoy what's left of San Antonio, and then I'll see you in L.A. here before it's all said and done as well. Going for two in 2022. We'll see you uh, reporting right now from the Riverwalk in San Antonio. Can't wait to be with everybody in L.A. I like it, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, it's the one thing I tell people, you know, that it just never stops. There's always something happening. Even if Georgia wins on Monday, there's still another thing, a next season to come out and get ready for. And for Georgia fans, it's never been more fun to start anticipating the future than it is right now. But, man, that present tense, it's all about what's going to happen in L.A. on Monday night. Did I tell you this already? We have massive, massive coverage lined up for you. So I'm pre-recording this on Thursday afternoon. You're hearing this in the normal slot there on Friday. But later on, I'm still not quite sure exactly what time. On Friday, we expect to have coverage of Georgia when they arrive in L.A. Uh, You're talking about, you know, uh, great coverage throughout the day on Saturday when it comes to another media day to be a part of, where we'll get a chance to walk around the room and really kind of see what's going on there, access to some practice, maybe Georgia doing a little more yoga again. Listen, I'm not making fun of the yoga anymore. I mean, uh, Brock Bowers had the Matrix-style pose on the uh, fourth down, so if Georgia wants to do yoga for its practice time, I guess I'm going to let them do it. Uh, We'll hear from Kirby again in an official press conference there on Sunday. So it's going to be a lot of stuff. We actually have a special thing we're going to try to do Sunday evening. I've got a couple of fun and surprises, hopefully in store for you as well, too. So we are just getting ready for a big one as you roll towards L.A. here this weekend. National Championship on Monday, and then we'll stay in L.A. to cover that for you the next day on Tuesday. I'm actually not coming back to Wednesday, but that won't impact you. We'll still have normal Dog Nation daily for the most part around all of that. All right, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean because, by the way, L.A., it's not going to be super warm. It's going to be 60-ish, I think. Uh, nighttime temperatures in the 40s. Maybe get a little sunshine. Maybe I can do a little winter tan work in L.A. I'm a very big believer in the idea that you kind of know how happy your life is depending on how tan you are in the winter. That's a little bit of a, of a measuring stick for me. Thin slicing, if you want to call it that. Well, if I don't get a chance to work on my tan in L.A., you know I will by the time we get to a perfect day, Coco Cay. And all the other great places we're going to be going. I got a family cruise coming up in February, but the second ever cruise with Dog Nation comes up in April, and it is crunch time. It is time to get on board and get ready to go. Your final moments here to get some of that stateroom availability while it still is there to be a part of that second ever cruise with Dog Nation with us. Hopefully, we celebrate uh, a national championship once again for these Georgia Bulldogs. So, great travel agent Jessica Slater's got you hooked up and ready to go for this. She can explain to you about how you get booked up and get ready. You can give her a call directly, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also give her a call. Royal, I should say, check out the website, royaldogs.com. That's royaldogs.com. It's a website that she's put together with all the great information of Independence of the Seas, leaving out of Port Canaveral on April 24th, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, that wonderful private island right there in the Bahamas, going to Nassau in the Bahamas there as well. going to be a great event. We want you a part of it. Now is the time to go ahead and make those final decisions about being there, and we'll see you on board the second-ever cruise with Dog Nation this upcoming April on board Independence of the Seas. All right, if you don't mind for a moment, and we'll get back to George, I promise, before we say goodbye to you, but if you don't mind for a moment, I want to kind of catch up on some of the other SEC news that's kind of been 
it's one of those things we've had so much Georgia TCU talk because we've only got really a week to get ready for it that other stuff keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And I'm not going to be able to respect myself if I don't at least mention some of this. So let's do this for a moment. Yesterday, Bobby Petrino was hired as Texas A&M offensive coordinator. Now, we talked about Petrino and A&M before. This came out weeks ago. Um, I think it was 24-7 Sports that may have had this first, one of their reporters, about the, I think it was Chris Hummer maybe, um, about the notion that Jimbo Fisher was going to be basically forced to hire uh, an offensive coordinator. I don't know if you can force a guy like Jimbo who's got the, uh, you know, the guaranteed almost $90 million, but uh, as a way of improving the offense, their college station was going to be strongly suggested that Jimbo hire an OC and the guy it was rumored that Petrino was in the in the maybe looking at was Bobby Petrino who most recently I should say that Fisher was looking at was Bobby Petrino who most recently had been Missouri State head coach but you know controversially had lost his job at Arkansas because of the motorcycle incident and the extramarital affair and kind of all the stuff that went on with that you're kind of aware of all this well, at, when, once that went down at Arkansas, you may have thought, well, I guess that means it's done for Petrino here at the SEC level, but now he's back in the league. A lot of folks are going to make fun of this. I understand why you would. Petrino's also, I guess, getting up there in age maybe a little bit, but I actually think there's a chance this might work out okay. A, because I do believe that Jimbo's got to bring in new offensive ideas. I think Petrino is probably strong-willed enough as well that maybe he might have the ego to kind of go back at Jimbo a bit. I think it takes a strong personality to work with a strong uh, head coach personality, and I think that Petrino might have some of that. Clearly, he's got a disastrous personal life, and I understand that. But also, it's not like he's going to be the public face of the A&M program. For the most part, he's going to be calling the plays, and at least I assume he's going to be calling the plays. And if, you know, if that works, then all is fine. If it doesn't work, it's not like he's going to be out front too much anyway. And by the way, I'll also point out that Missouri State went into Arkansas this year and gave Sam Pittman and the Hogs a pretty big run for their money there. So maybe that's an indication that the play-calling success that Petrino's had before maybe can still work in the SEC. Uh, you know, listen, you can say what you want about Petrino as a person. Those of us in Atlanta will never like him because of the way that he left the Atlanta Falcons head coaching job years ago. But I think you can't really knock him too much for what he knows about football. And I think if he brings that playbook with him to College Station – there's a chance this may work or at least work better than it has been working for A&M prior to this. By the way, speaking of Arkansas, there's a little bit of chatter out there right now that fresh off having lost his defensive coordinator, because you may be aware that uh, Barry Odom left Arkansas to go become UNLV head coach. And I guess I should mention, ironically, that he actually hired Bobby Petrino as offensive coordinator. That's one thing I meant, uh, failed to mention the story before is that Petrino left a job he just took. He had just been named as offensive coordinator at UNLV to go become offensive coordinator at Texas A&M. But nonetheless, Odom is also in Las Vegas now, leaving Arkansas in the process. And now there's a rumor that Sam Pittman may also be about to lose his offensive coordinator too, that Kendall Bryles might be leaving to go take the same job at Mississippi State to work with brand-new head coach Zach Arnett, who was obviously the former defensive coordinator promoted after the sad and untimely uh, passing a uh, shocking uh, death of uh, Mike Leach just a few weeks ago. So it could be that Bryles on the move here. Now, I would say that one of the biggest coups for Sam Pittman in his early days as Arkansas coach is the fact that he was able to hold on to both Bryles and Odom after the, both the 2020 and then the 2021 seasons. But here after 2022, it looks like he's lost one. He may lose both. I think that Bryles is a really good OC. I think this would be a very bad loss for Sam Pittman. It would be kind of weird to see him going somewhere else in conference. But 
Maybe there's a relationship between Arnett and uh, and Browse. Maybe there's a reason for that. But this would probably not be good news for Arkansas. However, there's also a chance it's also not if it does take place, it's not good news for another SEC team too because you may know that Dowell Loggins, the former tight ends coach at Arkansas, left to go become a South Carolina offensive coordinator after they lost their guy. So you're left to wonder, and sometimes this happens, where the late departure of Bryles because of the unforeseen circumstances opening up that job at Mississippi State leads to a guy like Bryles. Uh, uh, you know, the the job opening up, and now Loggins goes back to the place that he was previously working to work with uh, Sam Pittman once again, which all of a sudden opens up the South Carolina offensive coordinator job there too, is that sometimes you have kind of a second coaching carousel after the first coaching carousel because another move begats a whole bunch of other openings, and it's not obvious that any of this is going to happen. Maybe Browse doesn't leave for MSU, but if he does, at least watch the idea of Loggins going back to Arkansas and then what happens with South Carolina after that. All of this is still very much kind of up in the air, and so we could still see some coaching drama in the SEC before this uh, you know, kind of offseason even really officially gets started. So keep that in mind. Speaking of coaching rumors, there are also some of those involving Jim Harbaugh and Michigan. You know last year Harbaugh really flirted with, down to the wire, the Minnesota Vikings job. Ultimately, he didn't get it. And I think he was maybe kind of embarrassed by the way that played out and sort of said that he wouldn't, you know, this was not going to be a yearly thing for him at uh, Michigan. Well, here we are a year later, and it's still a thing once again because now there are rumors about Harbaugh and the Denver Broncos, Harbaugh and I think it's the Carolina Panthers. I guess there's some thought of his old old team, the Indianapolis Colts, depending on what they decide to do. There's been some reports he's actually already met with David Tepper, who's the owner of the Carolina Panthers. So you've got Harbaugh once again flirting pretty hard with one of these NFL jobs here. It's not obvious that he's going to leave and take an NFL job, nor will he even be offered uh, the NFL job that he might want to leave and take. But it is a little bit weird for two off seasons in a row we have this going on for Harbaugh. And I tell you this, it's an awful look for Ohio State, is it not? I mean, Ohio State has now lost to Michigan two years in a row in seasons in which Jim Harbaugh seems willing to take whatever NFL job will have him. Like, Harbaugh seems sort of done with the college game, and yet even with that kind of sort of half interest in even remaining in Ann Arbor, they're still beating Ohio State every time they play. Not a great look for Ryan Day. Uh, maybe keeping it close against Georgia will will make some Ohio State fans feel a little bit better about that, but I still think there's incredible pressure on Day in next year's Michigan game, and as it stands right now, it's not even obvious that Jim Harbaugh is going to be the coach in that game. So this is kind of weird. I think Harbaugh sort of knows that he can't win a national championship at Michigan. I think he's a little bit frustrated by, I'm sure, probably a lot of the changes in college football that aren't benefiting the Wolverines very much right now either. Uh, so he may be looking to go back to the NFL at some point in time, maybe. But uh, but but for now, he's definitely certainly mentioned and connection with a lot of these NFL openings, so keep your eye on that. Then finally, there is this. Did you see where former five-star defensive lineman Jordan Birch is in the transfer portal? Now, I think we all probably do the same stuff here. Anytime a player that we remember from recruiting goes in the portal, I think the first thought we have is, well, does Georgia want Jordan Birch? Would Georgia look to be getting back interested here again on Birch? And the honest answer to that question is, I don't know. But I will tell you this, is that I do really, really think that Georgia wants a defensive end. I do. Um, When you look at what Georgia has a lot of next year, you know, maybe getting better at outside linebacker, maybe, you know, in some respects, guys like Bear Alexander getting a little older along your defensive interior of your defensive line. Obviously, you've got some uh, secondary guys that could really be growing up and being big contributors. Like the one spot where it seems like right now Georgia may be a little less deep than it is at, at the moment might be there at that kind of defensive end, 3-4 traditional defensive end spot. 
And so a guy like Birch might fit the bill on that. This is not a report. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is this, is that you can know what Georgia feels about Birch because Birch, since going to South Carolina, has not exactly had the world's greatest career. His overall numbers aren't terrible, but it's not like he's gone there and always had the look of a five-star. He obviously knew Will Muschamp very well. Muschamp was the head coach when Birch signed at South Carolina. So I think it would probably be left to conclude that if Georgia, who I think might actually like a defensive end, doesn't go after Birch, and Birch's about 275. He may be a little bit bigger than what they're looking for. But um, but one way or another, I think you may get a sense of how Georgia feels about Birch after having been in the college game because the connection's there. I think the need is there. But at this point in his career, is Birch the kind of player that can actually thrive in Georgia given the fact that he you know, wasn't necessarily you know, playing at an all-SEC level there for South Carolina. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Of course, here on Friday, we love our big finish, and this is one of those weird, weird weeks where Friday sort of doesn't really feel like the finish. This is one of those weeks in which, uh, on this particular Friday, we're just kind of rolling into a weekend that's going to be as big and fun as anything we've done in Los Angeles, but... We're going to still do our big finish the way we always do, doing in style here as we celebrate you enjoying the finish long drink. And somebody that we've highlighted in this space before enjoying some finished long drink here once again. He's actually doing it out in California. Can we show this on the screen here for a moment? His name's Seth Rhodes. Seth's apparently a very prolific golfer because as he shows us here on the screen, I played Tory Pines last week. Had to rock the finished long drink koozie once again. He says, I wish it was the real thing. Uh, but he also gives you the hashtag go for two in 22. And he also says Dog Nation Daily is jealous of all the golf that I play. You better believe that's the case. Of course, Torrey Pines, uh, the beautiful course just south of L.A., down near San Diego and La Jolla, the site of the uh, PGA Tour event that takes place in kind of the winter time of the year. And Seth Rhodes having a good time. I believe in a different tweet. He said he shot low 80s both times. So Seth, not only a... Uh, a uh, prolific golf but also a pretty good one there too so seth congratulations to you and all that and also congratulations about being a part of our big finish presented by the finish long drink of course you can find the long drink online thelongdrink.com and you can pick up everything you need man for a, a great great tailgate party whether it be the traditional that's the blue can comes with the grapefruit flavor the citrus kind of kick that goes along with that the gin uh, combination with that the long drink cranberry the cranberry the long drink strong eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero that's no carbs no sugar listen whatever you want whatever you feel like you need when it comes to finished long drink they have got it there for you so all you got to do is find them online at thelongdrink.com and you can find out where you can pick some up today all right let me also do this and we got a lot of these I'll give a shout-out to my friends at MyBookie before we're done. But I want to kind of set the stage here for a little bit of a good vibe to kind of close out the week, right? We're rolling in L.A. Sometimes we like to do what we kind of call a golden shoes dump, a Friday shoes dump, where we really show a lot of these. We try to create the right atmosphere, the right mood to get you ready for the upcoming game and never a more important reason to do that than for our national championship game coming up on Monday. So with that in mind, let's roll through here and do a bunch of great golden shoes uh, as we get ready to uh, send you out in the week. First of all, Heather Capelo sends this to us. How about, first of all, she used the hashtag go for 2 and 22 which we love, and the great Georgia Theater, which apparently on its sign out front put dogs versus frogs. It's spelled, obviously, frogs like dogs, F-R-A-W-G-S. Very clever by the Georgia Theater. Always so beautiful to see that in photographs, and great to see Heather using the hashtag go for 2 and 22 uh, That gets you ready for Monday night. And how about this? So I guess Real Kimber made this, and her caption is Bibbidi Boppity Bulldogs. 
And then uh, Kirby's Bowl Cut shared this with me with the hashtag Golden Shoe, hashtag Go for Two and 22. So as you remember, Georgia beat Ohio State as the clock struck midnight, kind of brought, bringing back to mind memories of Cinderella. So what Real Kemper put on social media was, uh, who is that? Is that the fairy godmother talking to Cinderella saying, remember, the spell's off when the clock strikes midnight, so you have to finish the job before then. Well, in the case of Cinderella, she couldn't do that, nor could Ohio State, so that glass slipper not fitting on them very well. Very, very clever by Real Kimber, and we appreciate uh, Kirby's Bowl Cut for sharing that with us, golden shoes all the way around there. Rambo also sending us that field edition, the cheers. He's already gotten his copy. He says, one more to go, go for 2-22, and 22. As the dogs get ready to do that, I love to see those AJC Dog Nation field editions and the cheers uh, headline that we use to ring in that new year after Georgia beat Ohio State. Rambo, that is outstanding stuff. Golden Shoe coming your way too. Dylan Hand sent this to us. It's uh, Charlie Brown's like the Big Ten. Lucy's like the SEC. Happy New Year for Ohio State. (laughs) That's the O in Ohio State. Goes very wide left. Uh, Dylan, that's very funny. Uh, We'll give you a well-earned golden shoe for that. Then continuing on here, uh, John and uh, uh, Seeks Truth sent this to me. So apparently somebody on Twitter made this. So uh, about Javon Bullard and the ongoing war with Ohio State fans who think he should be called for targeting. What somebody put out there was is that Javon Bullard's hit was so clean, he signed a brand-new NIL deal, and it's actually with Mr. Clean. That's very funny. John Seeks Truth sent this to me. He says, I need to submit this for a Golden Shoe Award for Dog Nation Daily, and I always love when y'all tag me in fun stuff like that. So, John, we'll give you a Golden Shoe. And the mystery person who originally made this meme will give that to you there, too. But, John, appreciate you sharing that. Keeping the uh, Golden Shoe love going here, Bill Burton will give him one because he's trying to affect change. He's opened up a petition to change.org. He says, I came across this petition. Actually, I guess he found it. Not sure if it's going to change anything or not, but thought you might be interested. So somebody's put the change.org petition up to say, tailgating is not allowed for Georgia TCU National Championship, but it should be. We need change. So uh, you love to see some Georgia fans here doing their civic duty. I'm not quite so sure they'll get what they want prior to Monday, but clearly they're trying to fight for your right to not party this time, but tailgate there in L.A. So uh, I appreciate that in the case of uh, Bill. And then finally, there's this one. Rick Copeland, going back to something we said way back on our show to start the year, and it's one of my favorite things I've ever heard. I'm going to read exactly what he says here. He says, here's the photo I've seen many times, but before today, inside this picture, I see a team that's fought and clawed its way back to uh, have a chance to go for two and 22. He says, one more time, truly is the plan for next Monday. And to quote the great Irk Russell, who he sends the wonderful picture of, he says, there is no alternate plan. And I'm reminded of that great speech that Russell, or this is a letter actually that Russell wrote to his players prior to the 1980 season, but the idea of winning a championship, saying that is our plan, and we have no alternate plan. It was so well said and well written by Russell so many years ago, and those words carry so much weight with us right now. So, Rick, to you, we certainly give you a golden shoe for bringing that back to mind for all of us, and hopefully that gets your mind right and your vibe right as you get ready for the national championship on Monday. Let me say one more thing to you now. Our friends at MyBookie, a great resource to go to if you want to get some action down on the game. You can find MyBookie online by simply just typing into the Internet browser. Internet will do the work for you. Then you use the promo code DOGNATION. After that, you'll get a big deposit bonus. You put in $400, uh, MyBookie is going to double that initial deposit all the way up to eight hundred dollars a great way that they're going to take advantage of you or not take take advantage of you i should say it's a great thing for you to take advantage of as a way to 
get ready to enjoy the game on Monday, get some action down on the game, and then get ready to enjoy all the playoff action, the stuff that comes after that. Best way to pass the time between this college football season and the next college football season to find something fun to bet on. Well, at my bookie, it's winning season. There's always something fun to bet on right there. So start with the national championship on Monday and then roll through everything else my bookie's got after that. Go online, promo code DOGNATION when you find my bookie online. Get that big deposit bonus up to $1,000. Then after that, you play, you win, you get paid. So by now you know, next time we speak, it's going to be in Los Angeles. And I love the line from Merck Russell. Our plan is to watch Georgia win. Our plan is to watch Georgia go for two in 22. And there is no alternate plan. That is what we're going out there for. And if we come back empty-handed, there's going to be plenty of sorrow to be had for all of us. But that's not what we think is going to happen. We think there are going to be big smiles. We think there's going to be a big party. We think there's going to be so much to enjoy for uh, Georgia out in Los Angeles as it wins a national championship. But between now and Monday night, we're going to talk to you about how that happens. Friday from Los Angeles in some form or fashion. Throughout the day on Saturday, Sunday there as well. Then we'll see you for a live edition of Dog Nation Daily on game day on Monday. And we'll try to cover it all with you and then come back on Tuesday and talk about how it happened. Thanks for allowing us to be a part of that with you. We will see you then. Lousy stinking Gators, bad news for you. 295 days from now, you're losing again. But for now, it's go for two and 22. We'll see you in L.A., everybody.